Welcome to I'm a Sophisticated So Can You. The show that engages with the canon so that you don't have to. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony. And I'm another of your hosts, Sydney. And, and this is a very exciting day. we have a treat. Yes, we have our first guest. Yes, we have a third. There's a third person who's going to tell you about stuff. We have a very special guest with us. She is the host of Pairing. She is a voice actor. She's an audiobook narrator. Everyone, it's Emma Shajarko. Hello, hello, hello. I'm doing jazz fingers. You can't tell unless we release the video of this. Yeah, well, yeah, we can <laughs> tell, but you poor listeners can't. You'll never know. You'll you never will know. never know are. what yeah. you she's, see. She's a trained. I'm, uh, a, I'm a trained dancer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. Not specific. Classically trained. Yeah, not specifically jazz, though, because I never really did, like, I never really did jazz. Yeah, well, as you can get good at the fingers, though, I feel. Yeah, yeah, I feel like that's a skill that you can learn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah if they can learn it in... Yep, no, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> bring it on. Good there Lord. you go. There you go. Uh, I wish we hadn't seen Bring It On so we could do Bring It On. I know, I know but I know. I've seen That'd it at least one. twice. What are what are we doing actually? This week I'm actually really excited because this is everything that I think 15-year-old me would have wanted. <laughs> we are doing Evanescence and the anime classic Akira. So I am super excited. We should take these Yeah, we should take these one at a time. So do you want to start with Evanescence or Akira? I think we should start with Akira. Okay. Cuz I think it's going to be brief. Okay. So, yeah. Emma, have you seen Akira? I have not seen Akira. What yeah, do you tell think us, it's going to be? Tell us every single thing that you know <laughs> or suspect about Akira. Yes. I am really embarrassed because I really know very little about it. No, that is that is the point of, of this. Yeah. That's the point of this. Yeah. It's better that way. We, we kind of got to this because I said that you know especially as a voice actor I feel that one of the big gaps in my pop culture knowledge is anime and Akira and so we were talking about like some shows or something but that's a lot so we landed on Akira and I the all I know about it is it was made in the late 80s I think Mm -hmm. late 80s I think there's race cars involved I could be totally wrong. I could be uh, confusing that with something else. Winston is going to be so, so ashamed. Winston, my partner, who does know a lot of anime, is going to be very ashamed of no, me. No, he, no, he's <laughs> going to be so proud of you. Yeah, I think, no, he will. Because he's going to, he's going to watch it with me. So, so we will, we will, you know, figure this all out together. Well, that's already more than I know. I know literally nothing. I know honestly nothing. Awesome. I, I don't think, if you had asked me before this i'm not sure i would have known that it was animated okay i think i would have just been like it's important and japanese yeah i don't know if we're gonna watch it dubbed or in japanese that's a question that we can that we can talk about Mm. it it might depend on what's available if we have the option i always prefer a subtitle yeah a subtitle to a dub yeah yeah okay i actually was gonna lean the other way but I will defer to the group on this one just because I feel like often the voice acting in like animated movies is better and you notice the the disconnect between the voices and the words less. Yeah. At least that's that's just how I feel. Oh, the voice acting of the of the dub of the dubbers yeah. Yeah. is like better. I don't I just feel I'm really not trying to be like this is a safe space for people who do the wrong thing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> So I'm really not trying to be that person that is like, but I just feel like. I know that it is, it is a hot button topic. 
amongst I just like want to hear the performance that was created for the thing I think that because I have seen part of it and I saw the part that I saw was dubbed that I am like that's just the piece that I have in my mind but I'm willing to watch the subtitled version that's totally fine I I kind of feel both ways because I I agree with you Anthony that for for animated I often like to watch it dubbed like most of the Miyazaki movies that I've seen I've watched them dubbed but in live action I definitely prefer subtitles Maybe it's my <laughs> my directing brain. I Maybe. used to be a director for the theater. Oh my gosh. And I just feel like it's like I want to see the thing that they purposefully made. Do you know what I sure. mean? I don't want to see the, I don't want to see like the when everything broke and the stage manager taped it back together. Sure. Sure, 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 sure. sure. Well, we'll see we'll see what's available first of all. That too. Yeah. No shade to stage <laughs> managers and how well they tape stuff by yeah. the way because that is a really important part yeah. of how the theater runs. <laughs> As a former stage manager, excuse yeah. me. I yeah. no, I bet you're really great with tape. I'm actually not. <laughs> I hated taping stuff. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's like, I feel like there was a whole class about tape in my undergrad. <laughs> that sounds about right. This is a, a sidebar, but my, my career in stage management, I was hired by this company pretty much because I wasn't a traditional stage manager and they didn't want a traditional stage manager. So, I mean, well, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I mean, because a lot of I tape stuff. A lot of traditional <laughs> stage managers are also the worst. Yes. <laughs> so, like, I get that. I know I'm I'm running really hot and cold on stage managers right now, but I, I do okay. really respect that skill set. But also, sometimes they are the absolute worst. Yeah. 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 Well, it's their job to kind of be the worst. And so people don't always appreciate them is what I would say. I would like to share my experience with Akira because I think it's indicative of where I was at at like 13, 14 years old. Yeah. When I was 13, my parents got 500 channels of cable (gasps) and that included like 32 different kinds of HBO, 32 different kinds of Showtime. And I went on like a year long quest to just see a boob on television. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just just to see one. Yeah. yeah. Because I was 13 and yeah. that's what you do when you're 13. And so I would of just course. sit and channel flip in all yeah. of the premium movie channels <laughs> and just look for any movie that had that N or BN in it. Mm, uh-huh. mm-hmm. And then I would sit and I would watch that movie for like 20 minutes and see, see if Peter had it. And the BN came up for Akira. Oh, And I was like, oh, interesting. Because I also was starting to go into my anime phase at the time. So I was like, oh, two birds with one stone. Oh, oh my gosh. Sure. You, did you not see Titanic when you were nine? I did. There's a boob in that. Yeah, I know. Okay. It was exciting. Yeah, 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 yeah. We want more. There's more yeah, boobs no. in the world than just Kate Winslet's, you know. Well, so first of all, shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> no, there are not. No, there are not. There will never be a better boob. I didn't say better. I did not say better. I just said other. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Okay, no, just the way you said it, yeah. I thought it, this was going to be your first on-screen boob. Oh, no, no, no. It was just... Like, there's got to be a way to, like, sneakily see boobs on cable and just pretend I'm someone with taste. Okay, I'm on board. Like, 13 years old, there's one TV. This is my shot. This is how I'm going to do it. So I watched Akira. And after about 30 minutes, what I realized was whatever I was looking for in this movie was not coming. Yeah. But what Akira does have in spades is 
just grotesque amounts of body horror. Okay. And so after about 20 minutes of like literal exploding bodies, I was like, you know, I don't think there's going to be a boob in yeah. this movie. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Animated exploding bodies? Yes. So you were willing to accept an animated boob. Like you stayed for half an hour. Yeah. yeah. Waiting yeah. for an animated boob. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. I remember learning that people, that some people got as much out of a cartoon breast as a live breast. I think it's how a lot of people got to experience it at all. Well, because I was like a little baby lesbian and that felt like really safe sometimes for boys to be like, here's the gross stuff that's going on in my head. And they'd be like, look at this comic book. There's boobs in it. I just was not, I was not impressed by those mm. boobs, but it's, I think I just don't have, I'm not a very visual. I think I just don't have the visual imagination to take a drawn boob and make it. I need, I need a real boob or I'm not showing up. There you go. That's fair. This yeah. is why I was very careful to put it in a time and place if I was 13. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> there is no hornier creature on earth nope. than a 13-year-old boy. No. Nope. Except for perhaps a 17-year-old boy. I feel like I was definitely more of a menace to society as a sexual being. <laughs> When I was 13 or 12 even, because it's like, you're old enough to want the boobs, but not old enough. Like, like the, like that is the age when I would like fantasize about freezing time so that I could like look at real people's boobs and they would never know. Mm. And now I know that that is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we in the biz call assault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know what that biz, the biz is. Of, I don't know what that like, biz being is. being a person. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the biz of being alive. Being a person with ethics, but like, it's not like when I was 13, I thought assault was okay. It didn't occur to me at all. I was like, the time will be frozen. It's like it never happened. And I so I feel like there's even also though- there's also a difference with like something like that the like fantasy of it versus the doing of it I think if I think I think you can be forgiven as a 13 year old for for imagining that <laughs> thank you I'm I, I'm I am very insecure about it I, I don't know why I just said it into a microphone but the problem to me is that it did not occur to me that that would have been inappropriate sure like sure. if a genie had been like yeah you can do that I would I would have done it and I wouldn't have hesitated I wouldn't have felt any guilt about it at all and I yeah. think by the time I was 17, like, while I still wanted to see boobs on TV a lot, like, I like I don't know, just comparing the, the quality of the horniness, it was just, like, a much more informed horniness. Sure. Yeah. No, that, sure. That, that, that tracks. I think that's basically what I know about Akira. Although, what I think none of us have said is, uh, do we think we're going to like it? Emma, oh, do yeah. you think Ooh. you're going to enjoy it? Well, given that you just said like that there's like a lot of exploding bodies i mean i can take you know with with anime and stuff i can take a certain amount of that but if it's gonna be too much it might it might be too much for me how did you feel about nightmare of the wolf i really i very much enjoyed nightmare of the wolf i i feel like it's on a similar level okay okay yeah as long as there's a good i think i'm going to ultimately enjoy it it seems like my kind of thing i don't know from the very little that i know about it that's what i'm calling sure Sydney, do you think you're going to enjoy it? Honestly, no. <laughs> I've never had a great experience with anything classified as anime. Okay. And now you just told me there's going to be a lot of body horror. I think I'm going to be, because it's cartoons, I think I will be fine if I've made it through fucking Yellow Jackets. 
you did make it through Yellow Jackets. I still haven't I seen think that. I can. I mean, you can hear in my voice what it did to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I. Yeah. But I made it. So I think a cartoon. You know, whatever. That's fine. But it's also like not my favorite that's topic. Fine. Like I. Like I think. I think I'll be okay with it. But I'm. I'm not like. Like generally, things where there's a lot of exploding bodies. Usually, the story being told around that is not the most interesting thing to me. And also, I just find the style of anime to be not conducive to the conveying emotion okay mm. i don't know i mean i guess like in finding nemo they're fish and i am <laughs> like i was able to invest emotionally in that sure sure yeah we'll see on the scale from akira to finding nemo where will we fall i feel like i'm usually pretty hot or cold on anime like i'm either really into what's happening on screen or i'm not interested at all so we'll see how it lands yeah sometimes it's not interesting because their faces but okay all right should we evanescence talk about evanescence yeah evanescence emma you said you know evanescence a little bit right i i, I do mean, I, I think I we do. all know them a little bit i would venture i would venture a guess that i might know them a little bit more than the two of you based on what we discussed because i was because i i i i was gonna say i was really into female fronted symphonic metal from like scandinavia but the the tense of was is not really accurate i'm still yes. into that so like i love nightwish and Within Temptation and a bunch of other bands kind of like that coming out of Finland. I do not know those things, but I know all the good pop music comes out of Scandinavia. Like, whatever they're putting in the water there as far yeah, as it's like, good songwriting, they, they get it. Totally. So I got into that around the time when I was like 15 or 16 and sort of started listening to Evanescence because like, you know, that was the closest thing in America to that. But I always kind of felt like embarrassed that I listened to some Evanescence because like, especially at the time, there was definitely a stigma against them. Yeah, there was, right? Like Evanescence was like embarrassing. Mm hmm. Yeah, it was like it it wasn't quite nickelback level, but it was it was uh <laughs> there was a certain amount of that kind of which I think is silly. I feel like in some ways it's like it was worse than nickelback because nickelback was just like you have bad taste. Evanescence, if you listen to Evanescence, it was like you have trash taste and like emotional damage. Yeah, I guess there's a yeah, there cuz there was definitely like a certain stigma of like goth or emo kids liking Evanescence. And yeah. yes, that might have been true as a pseudo goth kid. But yeah, I will tell you, I haven't really started re-listening to Evanescence, but I did play My Immortal for Winston the other day because he didn't know it. And that that one was the most important one to to me as a sixteen year old. It just has all the feelings. That's all I'll say is that my immortal was very important to me. And then I listened to a fair amount of the first and second albums. I think throughout college, not like hardcore, but I I did listen to it. So I'm familiar with a fair amount of those of those. Okay, yeah, that's definitely uh, a lot more recently than I've engaged yeah sure same sure. well that's not true i i because bring me to life is like in the rotation of the sirius xm station that covers that decade that song has has re-entered my consciousness and i think it's excellent mm -hmm. and i don't know why banger. i shot on it at the time it's such a good song it crushes <laughs> it yeah. crushes yeah. 
I think like a lot of pop music at the time, I think I liked it secretly. Yeah. My middle school persona was like that I was like way too good for like stuff that was on the radio but I liked a lot of it secretly and I think Bring Me to Life was no exception but it was a little bit of an exception that it was just like a different like I'm saying it was like a different level of shame it was like not only is this trash that I am better than but it's also like trash for a certain kind of person who like wants attention which Anthony yeah. knows is the like that's the thing I judge the most yeah <laughs> like that's sure. that's what I talk to my therapist about is <laughs> like sure. why do I think wanting attention is the worst thing that a person could possibly do yeah and you know in retrospect and I bet we'll we'll talk about this once we've listened to it a little bit more but you know I think there's definitely some misogyny wrapped up in the the kind of perception of Evanescence as well yeah absolutely especially like if as a comparison to Nickelback it's like yeah or like Kid Rock like dumb stuff that boys like it's like it's like ah that's dumb but it's fun and then like dumb stuff that girls like it's like what right you shut up take that name out of your mouth the question i i am having with evanescence is are more than the first album or really those couple of songs bring me to life and my immortal off of the first album gonna really leave that much of an impression i'm not sure that they will but i'm saying that knowing none of their music from beyond the first i do not remember i know that my immortal is the other one i do not remember it very clearly. You guys hummed some of it for me in our in our like pre-show work, and I was like, yeah. yeah, 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 sounds familiar. But I feel like my my impression of my immortal is that it's like like the peak peak embarrassing thing that I'm remembering. That like that is the that is the song that you loved if you were like just an embarrassing person. <laughs> and I was I was an embarrassing person. So um, no. <laughs> Oh, I definitely was. I just didn't know Evanescence that well. Yeah, I, th- <laughs> yeah. I think I secretly did like Bring Me to Life, but I think even even in, in my heart of hearts, I was like, my immortal is, that's like, oof, that is too much for anyone. I'm not gonna, so I'm not gonna spoil the second album for you all, but what I will say, for a brief time, there was a, a portion of an Evanescence song that I made my ringtone. Oh, wow. Nice. Okay. From that album, from the second album. I mean, I, I guess I feel like if if they wrote those two iconic songs, however much judgment I'm going to have to overcome about one of them, like, why wouldn't there be more good yeah. stuff in there somewhere? You know what I mean? Like, like Avril Lavigne. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just keeps every, like, four years, she's like, here's an album. And, like, nobody listens to them anymore, but I always love them. Like, they're still, she's still good at her job. It's just, like, that's not what we're doing anymore. But yeah, I am. Sure. I'm doing that. So I, 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 I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm interested to do Evanescence now that we did Garbage because Amy mm. Lee cites Shirley Manson as a huge influence. Oh, sure. Yeah. So yeah, I yeah. think it's going to be interesting to, like, draw the line from Garbage to Evanescence. Oh, I, I know that I did want to say in the before how much I respect Amy Lee as a vocalist. Yes. Like, just based on those two songs. Like, I like I remember thinking when, like, when I was doing all my trash talking of them in my mind as a middle schooler, I remember being like, she is way too good for that shit. Like, <laughs> like she, should, she should get out of that and, like, go do some Broadway. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I was the worst person. 
I, I do want to share a funny anecdote. So both of my parents are classical musicians, and I went through this phase in high school where I would make, like, I would, like, burn CDs for my parents of, like, stuff that I was listening to. It's actually kind of cute in retrospect. Yeah, that's that's lovely. Yeah, and so I I made one for my dad one year that had my immortal on it. I think it was the the like acoustic version, not the full band version, or maybe it was like a live version or something. And he my dad, you know, a professional classical musician said, "She would be good if she took some voice lessons." Oh, <laughs> some shade from my father. I agree yeah, with you, Sydney. Shady. I am not as uh, critical as my dad and I think Amy Lee is a is a terrific vocalist. So. Yeah, I, I I think she absolutely has it, and I I would listen to her sing almost anything, and I'm excited to, to yeah. listen to her sing more of her material. But I I would she is yeah. someone. I mean, I hear the, it's like there's a nicer way to say it, but I hear his impulse that it's like like that like I had the same impulse as like put her on Broadway. Like I like I yeah. There's something about her voice that is like I would like I'm curious to hear this in other contexts and, and not to knock Evanescence anymore because I'm really excited to like do it properly. But I just still I'm just I just still would be curious to hear her like go ham on on some other stuff. Yeah. yeah. And who knows? Maybe maybe she has. Maybe we'll find something in our, you know, research. Yeah, maybe wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. yeah. I, think, I hope so. I think she did appear in Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 for a little while. I don't know if there's a recording of her. Did she? That's fun. Interesting. Interesting. I would like to hear her really uh, do some damage on Wizard and I. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Nice. I think she could really clean up on the Wizard and I. Yeah, we'll we'll see if that opinion holds through the end times, but we'll see. The end times. Yes, the end times. <laughs> Till the end of the world. Like, ha- Till oh, the end you, of no, the but you world. mean like has she trashed her voice? No, I just years? mean like once we do all of our homework. Oh, just our end back. times, not our yeah, end okay. times. Okay, from what little I know about vocal technique, the way that she's singing can potentially be really hard on your like sustaining that. Yeah. Like, if she sounds like that right now, that's very impressive. Because I they did have an album come out last year, which I'm really excited to listen to. Yeah, because what's it gonna be? <laughs> that's what I. That's what I'm most excited to explore because I, I am familiar more with the early stuff but haven't listened to anything they've done in a really long time so yeah I'm, I'm excited to see where they've come I'm just excited to like listen to the original stuff with a, <laughs> a kinder ear yeah that too it's gonna I be think fun. it's good I think it's fun. I, I think I'm going to uh, love it. Yeah. I, I think I'm, I'm going to be like, you, Sydney, you fool. I'm not at all hesitant to jump into this feat first I'm very excited yeah, me too. Ugh, middle schoolers are so stupid. Well, yes. Yeah. Like what? Like how was I taking those two data points and being like, "This must be. This is not for me. That's not. That was bad logic." Yeah, I agree. It's the same sort of leaps of logic that would make you sit and watch twenty minutes of body horror, hoping against hope for a boob. For a boob. There you go. <laughs> just hope a, for a just boob. Just a boob. Just, just one. Oh, please, just one. sir. Just not even just two. One. Just one. I guess at this point, we will jump into the future. So when we come back, no time will have passed for you, the audience, but we will have done our homework. Yep. All right. So we will see you in the future. Hello, hello. Welcome to the future. Ugh. 
I love it here. It's so much better than before. Yeah, we're so much better informed. We are so improved. We are. Yeah, I, I think we are. As human beings, yes. Yeah. So should we talk about Akira first? Yeah. Let's do it. Emma, would you would you like to count us in? Okay. Our One, two, three. I what the fuck? Oh, okay. I agree it was too long, but I ultimately ended up with I liked it. But I also get the what the fuck. Yeah, it was that wasn't an entirely negative what the fuck. Yeah. It was a mix a mixed bag. It is a mixed bag of what the fuck. I think that's a really good way to describe the movie. I felt like it was ending for too long. Yes. I just felt like there was like 45 minutes of like impossible denouement. Yeah, it was like you think Return of the King is bad. Like mm-hmm. it, it, was, it was. I do. Well, that's a different conversation, Sydney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's not have Emma reach through the internet yeah. and kill you. <laughs> but, but there were like four or five final boss battles is what it felt like. Yeah, and I just felt like we were spending forever in that that moment of uh, any movie where there's a, a battle between good and evil. There's a time where it has to be like impossible. Yeah. Where like whatever the like the secret resource they were holding back has now also failed. Yeah. I just felt like we were we were there. We were living there for so long. It was like, we oh, were. there's another secret resource and it also failed. And also Tetsuo's like got some more juice. Yeah. Like yeah. we're we're even more exhausted and he's even more powerful and that just like kept happening again and again and it's like it doesn't make a difference anymore. He's already like the size of the Olympic Village. More doesn't change it. Yeah. What I would say that I did appreciate oh, and and so I know I said I liked it and I think I I stand by that, but beyond liking it, I think I appreciated it for what it sure, was. Yeah. I think that's I think that's a maybe even more accurate description. And I was talking with Winston about it cuz Winston has like loves Akira and has you know saw it when he was a kid and for for listeners that's my that's my partner but what I did end up kind of appreciating about it is that it didn't it wasn't quite so simple as good versus evil but I I almost kind of criticize it too because like it was like what the fuck is going on with Tetsuo like yeah like the inciting incident wasn't completely clear. Yeah. And so as things built afterwards, I'm, I kept being like, okay, but why yeah. is this happening in the first place? Exactly. Yeah. I think that's the biggest question I had. And part of the problem for me was it took me a little while to like really get into it. Like, mm-hmm. I, like I started the movie and watched the first like 20, 30 minutes one night. And I was like, you know what? I'm not in the right headspace for this. And so I turned it off and then picked it up the next day. And by the time I got like 20 minutes after that, I was like, okay, now I get what's going on. And like, I'm in it. I get who these characters are. But it took a while. It takes a while. a while for the threads to intertwine. Exactly. And it does feel, I felt that there was too much convenience in the setup. They just happened to, like, this, like, ancient baby just happened to hit on a motorcycle, like, the key to the universe. Yeah. Like, that's that's why they find him, is because of a traffic accident. Right. I also could be wrong, but I believe that the film was the culmination of, like, a 
20-part manga series or something like that. That is true. Yeah, so I think that's part of what was going on, is that they were trying to do just too much with all the source material. I also heard that they started, and I feel like this is something that happens all the time with adaptations of manga, they started the movie before the manga was done. Mm. And apparently Mm -hmm. the second half of the movie like is them extrapolating it's the game of thrones problem where they ran out of source material halfway oh. through and then they had to like build the plane as they were flying it gotcha. yeah which is probably why the last half of the movie makes less sense than the first half of the movie yes that checks out to me my understanding of the little like esp kid showing up at the accident is it's not an accident he sort of knew he needed to be there or something. Or was like drawn to him without knowing. Yeah, like I don't know that it was intentional, but that's sort of how I read it. So like have the old lady girl in the pink ruffles be like, you need to get into a traffic accident. For our listeners who have not seen this movie, we are referring to... Okay, this... No, it's not gonna help. I know, I know. It's like the Tom Waits episode where it's like, you could describe it, but it's not gonna help. Yeah. There are... It's ineffable. (laughs) Just... Yes. Just thinking (laughs) of what I'm about to say makes me laugh. There are some old lady babies, old person babies. Yeah. One of the big problems that I had with the movie, I did think it was interesting and I didn't find the style of it as alienating as I thought that I would. But I didn't, it's like, who am I here for? Like, who do I like? I like, I did feel like it suffered a little bit from the male disillusionment is inherently interesting problem of films of the past. 100%. (laughs) So I was really, like, I was there for those ancient babies. Yeah, I was definitely on team ancient babies. Didn't really care that much for Tetsuo. I liked Kaneda. I thought I thought Kaneda was a, was a fun character, but, but very much, as you said, like, the female characters in this movie did not have much to do except for ancient lady baby. Kay is cool, but she, literally her role becomes just to be a vessel for them. Both the girlfriend characters are like, yeah, they they seem chill, but like they're sexy lamps. Like, especially Tetsuo's girlfriend, yeah. which, by the way, hmm, <laughs> quest for a boob was achieved, but uh, oh, yeah, at yeah, what yeah. cost? At you, what got cost? Your, you got your yeah. cartoon boob, listeners. The, the, <laughs> when this happens, it's while someone is actively being assaulted, and Sydney turned to me and was like, "Hey, boob," and I was like, "No, this isn't what I, I had." Also, I also I should say that like as the film started, I turned to Anthony and I was like, "I'm gonna spend this entire movie thinking about how absurd it is that you were willing to settle for a cartoon boob because <laughs> I I was also 13 once and wanted to see a boob on HBO, and I just like a cartoon boob would never have like it would never even have." Occur- occurred to me that that would satisfy the same itch so i was like ready to to just like be teasing the whole film and then it was like here's your cartoon boob it's a it's it's state sanctioned violence yeah i was thinking about that that moment was very upsetting yeah and her whole role just generally it's very much indicative of like the anime genre like it's gotten better over time but women are not treated great. And a lot of people have gone to anime for cartoon boobs, so. Last thing about the sexual assault. That whole character, it's like, we, we can criticize films for having female characters that have violence done to them that, like, simply serves a male storyline. This didn't even, it's like, she was there to do that, and also then the men 
didn't even care. (laughs) Yeah, like no one cared. That was the most upsetting part to me was that like it happened and like no one was concerned. And then we didn't see her for like an hour and a half. And then she came back and got squished to death. He he did kind of learn a lesson from that a little bit, but too late. Yeah, yeah. At least, you know, there was some purpose to that. I'm not saying it was a good purpose. No. But at least, at least it was done for a reason other than to just be upsetting. I did want to say, since we're talking about anime as a genre, that just it's worth saying, like, I could see how seminal this was at the time. And it is objectively an incredible achievement because I believe everything was hand-drawn. Yeah. And, like, just from a kind of spectacle perspective and from a technical perspective, there were parts of it that I was like, oh, wow, this is really cool. I can't believe this movie is 31 years old or 32 years old. Yeah, the a lot of the, like, fractaling, a lot of the way the uh-huh. things, like grew out of each other the like mess making of it is like yeah 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 stuff that pixar has spent decades and thousands of people's full-time job is to like make stuff look that cool that they just like drew with their hands for this movie yeah i don't know anything about anime and i could also see things that that were like this isn't all our brains there's a shot that i was like oh that's exactly from stranger things like they lifted that exact moment out of this movie for Stranger Things. Which one was it? When they're trying to put him back in his cell and he explodes the door off and pops two people with his mind. Oh, There's a scene uh where they're taking Eleven back and it's like from the same angle. Like I can like see it in my mind. Like that's, it's like from down the hallway and she, they like try to slam the door on her and she pops the door back off and then like cracks both their necks. Yeah, it definitely like as I was watching it, I was thinking of like, Lost Boys, Mad Max Fury Road, or several Mad Max movies probably, but specifically Fury Road. And just being like, oh yeah, I can see how this really was both a product of its time, but also influenced so much going forward. Apparently the most iconic shot is when Kaneda does his like little motorcycle slide. Winston wanted me to mention his favorite moment is when Kaneda's in his pink polo shirt and just jumps on the motorcycle coming towards him and like kicks the guy in the face. That is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool. By far my favorite sequence was when Tetsuo's kind of coming into his powers, I guess, and all Uh those stuffed animals. Yeah, the scary stuffed animals. First they come to life and then they're tiny and then they're huge and then like- They bleed milk. Yeah, they bleed milk and like a whole world assembles out of toys and like that sort of like dream logic weird imagery but with toys so it's like whimsical that part I I was like all in on that scene absolutely it felt very dark Miyazaki Miyazaki does a lot of that kind of stuff but it's usually not that scary I just don't remember it being pushed quite that far like this this felt like it was like oh no I've got all the time in the world to just like see how many weird folding effects I can put on this teddy bear and like and then I felt like it kind of had the same vibe like the body infinity body sequence had kind of the same vibe where he's like assembling out of all the like meat and electronics of the world but it's just like a a rolling human lost soul i felt like that was set up by the toys yeah but i did not enjoy watching it in the same way 
No, it was not. It was not as enjoyable. Yeah. Last last thing on the quest for a boob, just to give you sure. some frame yeah, of yeah. reference as to when I was ter- watching it and turned it off was when they got to the Olympic Stadium and that like fractaling body horror started. Was when I was like, you know what? I think I might have missed it. There could have been a boob in there. Could have been. It's funny because like as we were saying, like, oh wow, you made it that far. Why not just finish it? But it's like, oh no, but there's still another. 45 minutes of the movie (laughs) yeah and I didn't watch from like beginning to there it was like I turned it on and then like 20 minutes later that was happening so I was like what the fuck is going on yeah (laughs) just poor guy he he missed the police rape boom were they police officers I thought they were a rival gang oh I thought they were the clowns oh I'm all worried about why I was confused about that but I guess it doesn't really matter they are they do spend some time pursued by the police right yes and I do think that the movie I do think that the movie is fairly critical of like government and yeah it's not like the police are the good guys yeah exactly so it it is plausible that it could have been the cops i'll stop feeling embarrassed then there's a sort of a general dystopian feel to the whole Mm -hmm. thing there Um, is a scene in what i hope is a police station (laughs) because that's how i experienced it and i was like oh that is what police stations will be like in the aftertimes it'll just be like a worse more dangerous dmv that's what it felt like yeah that's in in that scene for Mm -hmm. sure one thing that i appreciated about the movie was that it did have moral complexity yeah. to it it wasn't just black and white or like this person's bad this person's good and like one of my favorite lines was when Kanada was is like going after Tetsuo and he's like no he's our friend we have to kill him yeah <laughs> yeah I liked that too I do want to talk a little bit about the very ending because there was a lot of visual storytelling happening and I was trying to understand what was yes. going on This is just me. I did not do any research. So tell me if y'all think differently. The old babies, the three old babies and Akira were all part of the same experiment back in the, at the time, the 80s. Also very Stranger Things. Yes. Akira was the most successful one, but something went wrong and he blew up. And that is what the atomic bomb at the beginning of the movie was. That was Akira blowing up. Oh, I did not catch that. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my understanding. And I'm not what I didn't know for sure is if like Akira like actually blew up or if they made Akira blow up. Yeah, that is still unclear. But then the very last line of the movie is what I assume is Akira's voice saying, I am Tetsuo. So what I took from that is that when the old babies sort of regenerated Akira to stabilize Tetsuo, the way that happened is they all just sort of like assimilated into each other. And now the entity formerly known as Akira is now Tetsuo. And it is a universe? Oh, yeah, yeah, like a whole universe that's like the size of a marble. Which is very men in black. That was... That's true. Yes. That was my basic understanding as well. I also was a little unclear about what exactly happened with Akira before. Because, you know, they have all these jars of like little bits of his organs. So like some of him was saved. I feel like pretty good at picking up on stuff generally. And so sometimes like if things want to present things to me in a abstract manner, 
my attitude about it is often just like, well, then I'll get what I get, bro. If you wanted me to be completely clear, then you would have told it to me clearly. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I liked that you were saying there's like a lot of dream logic to the movie and a lot of visual storytelling. I think that's sort of what we're meant to take away from it is like the actual plot, the actual like technical details are less important. Yeah, than how how we feel. Yeah, than the general vibe, if you will. All vibes. (laughs) Yeah. So who is this for? Emma, we'll start with you. Who do you think this movie is for? I think it's meant to be for a lot of different people. I mean, a lot of it is being told through the lens of like teenage boys. So I definitely think it's for teenage boys or teenagers dealing with some of that angst and showing it in a different way. Yeah, as much as it is like a little bit like sort of toxic teenage masculinity I do feel like you could do worse as an angsty teen if you need somewhere to put that you you could do worse than this movie yeah there's definitely instances of toxic masculinity but it's not necessarily like condoning those the ultimate point is a little bit more nebulous it's not really modeling like healthy coping (laughs) it's not doing great modeling i think the point is it's like you think you have these problems here's a whole different world of metaphysical issues that we're gonna throw at you right now and like some philosophical questions that we're not gonna totally answer but just kind of put them out there there's just a lot of like honor culture stuff that I think Japan's been working on that for a long time, but I think it interacts poorly with white American honor culture stuff. Yeah, there's there's definitely some dangerous takeaways from this movie. Yes, I think that's what I'm saying. It's like I can see it feeling familiar and I, I know what it's working on from like a Japanese honor culture perspective, but then to translate that into like little sad American white boys, it's, it's like the repeated, like it is shameful to be helped. So much of just like the motivation, like people's main goals are just to not be perceived to have been helped at any cost. Like, I'll murder dozens of people before I'll let anyone notice that I had a friend. That's not great. (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I think I see what y'all are saying where, like, you run the risk of, in the same way that, like, finance bros like Wolf of Wall Street for the wrong reasons, I feel like angsty teenage boys might watch this movie and just identify with Tetsuo for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, and be like, it is a good idea to curse out my only friend yeah and like there is something special about me that makes me powerful and wanted and like necessary yeah and that is way better than having a community and i think that that's not ultimately i think the point of the movie is that that's not good but it doesn't make it so explicit that i can imagine a teenage boy leaving that movie and i'm focusing on boys because you know we're in this this kind of culture but it could be any gender to walk out of that and be like yeah, I'm like Tetsuo. I'm so tortured and and I'm special and my I'm just going to burn it all down and it's like someday there will be a point to how tortured and special. Yeah. Yeah, the Venn diagram of people who identify with Tetsuo in that way and people who like the Joker is a circle. Exactly. I think that looking back on it, when we were talking about this before, we were like, oh, none of us have really spent that much time with like anime movies. So let's do Akira mm-hmm. in hindsight. 
if I had a time machine, I would go back and be like, don't make this your first anime. Like this should, as yeah. you said, it is an achievement. It is a really impressive piece of animation, but I don't think it's a good, like, you should not use this as your introduction to anime as like a art form because it is so much. Of, <laughs> like yeah. it is very what it is, but it, what it is is so much start with a Miyazaki maybe you know definitely Miyazaki's sort of a little different from anime but I think yes Miyazaki's a much better entry point into that style of film my counterpoint would be if you watch Akira as your first anime and you like it and you're like in it you're gonna you're gonna be like coasting with, <laughs> with everything That's, that came yeah, afterwards sure. yeah sure solid I, point i think sydney said it best when we were talking about tom waits where we were like look this is not going to be for everyone but if you engage with this and you like it congratulations there is so much more yeah yeah exactly exactly so emma i'm gonna ask you is this in your like personal curriculum so, like, in your school of life, if someone is asking you, should I watch Akira, do you think it is worthwhile to tell them to do that? Like, it could be a straight yes or no. You can have a qualification to it. Do you feel like this is something that is in your personal canon, your personal curriculum? I would say yes, with the caveat of, like, give it half an hour and if it's just not your thing, then that's fine. But if you are interested in anime, Japanese culture, animation, any of these things, then I think it is a, a movie you should watch. And I'm glad that I did, finally. I think that it is... I think it is really hard to have a conversation about animated movies, particularly hand-drawn ones, in the last like 30 years without talking about this movie. I understand from watching it why it's important. I do think it is a really impressive piece of craftsmanship. Would I sit down and watch it again soon? I don't know. Am I glad that I yeah. saw it? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I will be avoiding this movie for the rest of my life. But I do think reluctantly that it is in my curriculum. <laughs> like this is the opposite of point break where <laughs> where it, like we were we were like we love this but you don't really need to watch it. I'm like I didn't really like this, but I saw its influence across so many things that I do like and not even animated things. Like I don't know anything about anime. Like live action things, just like anything that's like after anything post-apocalyptic, anything about rebel children anything about children yeah. with superpowers. I'm sure yeah. it, like it's not like it's the first to explore those things, but I could see a lot of innovation in it that is just like now now it's out there and this is where it came from. So if you're at all into like I mean I am into supernatural children, so I I feel like I I did I needed to watch this even though I I didn't really like it. No, I think that's I think that's really valid and fair. I think we're sort of in agreement that like even if it wasn't our favorite thing in the world, it's important kind of culturally. Yeah. And if someone comes up yeah. to me at a party and is like, this is my favorite animated movie, I'd be like, 
hmm, this is an interesting person. Okay, so yeah, so this is another thing we ask is like, what does it say? If somebody is either purposefully or or just as a byproduct making you feel like a little embarrassed that you are not super well-informed about this thing, how should you feel about that person? And I feel like this topic is full of contradictions for me because while I feel like this is an important movie and it is in my curriculum, if somebody approached me and was like, oh, you have to have seen it. It's so important. It's my favorite. It's This is a really big deal to me. And it's something that I would spend time talking to a stranger about. I would be like, mm, red flag. Hmm. Is Maybe that- not red, red flag, but like. <laughs> yeah, like this could go one of two ways. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think that's, I think that's the thing is like the question is of what did you take from it? Yeah, why? For example, Winston loved this movie, but I don't think he'd seen it since he was like, you know, probably early teens or something. And like what he remembered was like, the cool, like, Canada jumping up on the motorcycle and kicking someone in the face. Yeah. And, like, the score also. The score is really great. Yeah. So those are the things that stick out in his mind. So I feel like he appreciated what I appreciated about the movie, which is kind of, like, the innovation and these cool moments, not, like, how, you know, it is telling you to, to you know, go blow up a city. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, for example... Which I don't think it is, but like as we as we talked about. Yeah, it's a little bleak. Yeah, I would want to know why. And if you do go based on our recommendation, if you do go watch it and you're like, "Ooh, I didn't like that. And somebody tries to tell you that that's a wrong opinion that don't listen to them. That's a fine opinion to have. Yes, it's fine to not like this movie. It's fine to like this movie. If you like this movie. I want to know why you like it. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, yes. like not that it's wrong to like it, but I want to know why. Yeah. Do we have anything we want to say about Akira other than that? Or should we take a break for tacos and then yeah, come back? Ta- I think it's, I think it's time for a taco break. If we can take a, a quick five, a quick five minute taco break. Yeah. Then, taco five. Uh, taco think- five. On the Vintage Video Podcast, we'll be reviewing every single wide release of the 1980s in chronological order. Over 250 episodes to enjoy and thousands more to come. John enters the store now to order another can of ether. I picture him outside like Homer with the gas hall. <laughs> one for you, one for me. I also like to think about that the kids renew their vow not to talk about the murder. By, by murdering someone. <laughs> <laughs> They're taking a blood oath with someone else's blood. This stuff is seven times more powerful than uranium. And yeah. they, they open up the vault that it's contained in, not wearing any kind of protective nope. gear. Yeah. And it's wooden crates. Wooden crates. It's like the guys in Chernobyl picking up the graphite rocks yeah. and going, meh, because there's just rocks. Hugging the elephant foot. <laughs> just like, oh, this thing's smooth. It's so warm. He turns to dial the number from the classified ad without even thinking about the numbers. <laughs> we know this because we can hear his thoughts and he's talking about how AJ was right that ninjas are misdirecting him. They're misdirecting him. I really wish that he'd turn to the phone and like, six, six. Vintage Video. We're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. Welcome to the Phantom Jukebox. I'm Ty. And I'm Joe. And we're two musicians that dive into the world of music, its myths, conspiracies, and bizarre music history. We discuss things like Did Elvis fake his own death? Is Stevie Wonder really blind? Is Dolly Parton's husband actually real? Find out all that and more on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or your favorite streaming service. 
Hello, we're back. Oh, oh, are we ever? <laughs> Buckle in, because this is this is the start of what I can only assume is going to be a ten-part series. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this podcast is now about Evanescence. This is an Evanescence standing podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is now an Amy Lee stand account. Just for formality's sake, Sydney, yeah. do you want to count us in? Uh, for our our feelings. Yeah. yeah. Okay. One, two, three. This Love is yes. who I am now. Um, I was just making uh, the devil horns with my hands. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, oh, I've been like, I've been compulsively like rock and rolling. That's why I I painted, you guys, listeners, my nails, I painted my nails black. Yes. (laughs) So that I could better rock and roll horns in my car while I'm listening to Evanescence. Yes. So that I can feel closer to them. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I did. They're like black with glitter. <laughs> I think Amy Lee would appreciate that. Yeah, I, think I don't Amy think she Lee would, would appreciate that. Really? You guys think she'd be cool with my glitter? I don't. I, I think like now she would. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amy Lee now. Yeah, Amy Lee now would. 21-year-old Amy Lee would Probably. be like, that's not what we're doing here. Yeah. yeah. Emma, I know you had listened to their first album and second album previously, right? Yes. In re-listening to them, I was like, oh yeah, I was really into especially the second album. I listened to that a lot in college, which I had sort of forgotten how much I'd listened to it. But when I was re-listening to it, I was like, oh yeah, this was actually a big part of my late teens, early 20s experience. Yeah, it's a great album. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. <laughs> no skips. No skips. Well, I feel like on the second one, there's a couple skips on the second one. On the first one, there's like legitimately no skips. Yeah. yeah. I would say just just to be controversial. Okay. In re-listening to the maybe both albums, but definitely the first album and then some of the later albums, I was like, "Listen, I really like all these songs, but a lot of them have a lot of the same kind of musical motifs going on so it's like yeah you're not getting a lot of like diverse sounds no it's all exactly the same yeah yeah (laughs) I no, I told Anthony I was having a problem I was like have you been having this problem where you have an Evanescence song stuck in your head but you're not sure which one it is because they all sound the same (laughs) I would have just like a couple lines and I'd be like get to the chorus and it's like it it could be it could be nine different choruses that could follow this like this like battle cry that I have stuck in my head. Yes, absolutely. I wanted to ask you both. There is a song from The Open Door that was my ringtone briefly in college. Do you want to guess which one it is? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Wait, yes, I do. Wait. I'm going to, while Sydney looks, I'm just going to guess, and I'm just going to blind guess yeah. that it was either Lithium or Lacrimosa. Okay. Well, don't answer. Okay, just... To be controversial, I'm gonna say Snow White Queen. Ooh, good guess, but no, it was Lacrimosa. Hey! Yeah, <laughs> because that's amazing. That song is like so my aesthetic. Because f- listeners who don't know the underlying theme going through is Mozart's Lacrimosa Requiem. I figure, mm-hmm. I figure most people would recognize that, but also like my parents are classical musicians, so I don't want to like be an elitist asshole i only know because of the um movie because of amadeus <laughs> which apparently is also why amy lee is into it <laughs> does she love amadeus yes yes i love that <laughs> or like did as a child <laughs> yes i love that i love that i mean that's a great film it's a great movie and that sequence is like so really sticks in your mind yeah i just get pumped 
whenever rock bands or, or pop artists work in 12-8. So that's that's a plus for me on Lacrimosa. Yeah, definitely. I don't know enough about music to like be able to hear that and be like, oh, that's 12-8. But I, I do think there are some interesting things that they're playing with. Part of, I think, why it sounds special and why it has that like rolling, like driving, like that is the 12-80-ness of it all. This, I'm going to pretend that I know about music a couple times in this. Great. I love it. I was going to ask you what of their more recent than their second album stuff were you able to listen to this time? So I didn't listen to any of the other albums all the way. I think I listened to the third one, Evanescence. I listened to almost all of that all the way through. I had heard that one before or most of it before. The first track, What You Want and Lost in Paradise were definitely on some playlists that I had in my early 20s, which I had forgotten until I listened to them again. And I was like, oh my God, yes. That's a good song. Lost in Paradise. Yeah. It is a really good song. And it's like peak Amy Lee. Yeah, that one really like grabbed my heart. Okay, riddle me this. Did yeah. you listen to the synthesis thing? I listened to some of it, but I didn't get to all of it. I think the synthesis album changed my opinion retroactively about a couple of I don't I liked Lost in Paradise but I don't think that I was as invested in it until I heard the second arrangement and okay. I was like oh this is a real project I think I didn't listen to that one I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to go back what it is is an orchestral I think you're gonna love it yeah. it's an orchestral reimagining of a lot of like their best songs it's like let's just take the three best songs from each of these albums and then make it into all one thing that a symphony would play Okay, so how we landed on doing Evanescence is that I had suggested something that I am more knowledgeable about, which is European symphonic metal. And so it sounds like this album is like 1000% my jam. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to talk about, because now that you've discovered Evanescence, I have some recommendations (laughs) of other other bands to check out. There's a Dutch band called Within Temptation. Yes. The whole time I was listening to Evanescence, Spotify was like, would you like Within Temptation? I would recommend checking it out. And then there's another band, I think they're Italian actually, called Lacuna Coil. Evanescence is third album, the one that's just called Evanescence, I heard a lot of Lacuna Coil in that. Their front woman, she doesn't sound exactly like Amy Lee, but she's got a little bit more of a kind of a Amy Lee kind of belter vibe to her. I would recommend checking those two out if you like Evanescence specifically. Yeah, I feel like my block with them before this last two weeks of my life. Well, it's like, okay, so discovering this, I was like, how silly of me. I've been cheating myself out of this, really. But it's like, I've known that these kinds of like musical sound, like the distortion and the sounds that the band is making. I've known that that's something that I want, but it's just like not ever presented to me in the way that I want it. And it's like Evanescence just solves all those problems. It's like, let's take the sound bed that you like. And what if instead of men growling over it, what if we put one of the foremost pop belts of the third millennium? Yeah, that's what I want. And what if instead of like abstract, 
act, lyrics, just sort of like general images of violence that aren't attached to anything. Yeah. What if we made it like confessional explorations of emotional distress? Absolutely. That's exactly what I want. That's everything that I want in music. And I, I can't believe that I've been, it's been right under my nose. You denied yourself. Yeah. This band feels like it's a good exploration of something that keeps coming up in our conversation of like who decides that something is serious versus silly. Yes. And I feel like society has decided that Evanescence is silly. Yes. Yeah. I thought about that so much because especially with Garbage because we did an yeah. episode on Garbage earlier and Garbage is serious. Yes, and Amy Lee Why? has specifically said that Shirley Manson, the lead singer of Garbage, is one of her major influences. And in a lot of early Evanescence, you can like hear them doing the same things that Garbage is doing. Definitely. But for whatever reason, people are like, ah, yes, seminal band of the late 90s and early aughts, Garbage. And yes. then they're like, stupid, angsty girl music, Evanescence. Yes, how did it happen? I'm so fascinated by that. How did it happen? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And I don't know who gets to make those rules. That's what's interesting to me about it is it's like, it's definitely not, it's like a collective unconscious decision. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it is anyone like making a call. It's just like, we all know. We just all know psychically. And Evanescence is silly. And I just, now I'm like, but why on earth? How did it get to be that way? I don't know. Either of you or have either of you seen the music video for My Immortal? Yes. I watched everything that was available. Okay. Okay, great. Because that (laughs) That one in particular, so my first memory of Evanescence, like I know Bring Me to Life was like the bigger hit, but My Immortal was much more in my awareness when I was a teenager. And that music video is definitely part of it. Like it's a very iconic music video. And I could see people mocking it because it does take itself very seriously. But that still doesn't mean that it's not good i would love to talk about my immortal specifically for a minute (laughs) yes let's do it that song and not even the song itself but the reception of that song by other girls my age was the single biggest thing that kept me from liking evanescence sure as a band so a friend of the podcast tony bell and tony told me a story about a girl at his high school who at the talent show (laughs) sang my immortal laying flat on her back holding the microphone, like no, dangling the microphone down no. onto her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and so that to me is the image of the Evanescence fan. Yes. That to me has been like the point of the song. And like that, it's all I see when I think of that song is that girl. Yeah. And so I've been like really, okay. So in order to enjoy this music what I did on the way in is I was like this shit takes itself way too seriously and I know that that's a problem for me I like my culture wrapped in a little more cheekiness so I I'm gonna I'm gonna just pretend to be a person that likes this and it just like it was so easy like it was so easy for me to lift that curtain but then once I was on the other side I was like well now I gotta reflect like what made me so uncomfortable about that because someone would lay on their back and sing it at the talent show yeah, and like yeah. make their make their pain so bare, I was like, I can't I spent twenty years being like, I can't be near that. That yeah. makes me uncomfortable. Like and so I, I it's been a this has been a journey not just of learning to like the music, but of being like, what is my block there? What's going on? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's definitely like the journey to accepting that evanescence is enjoyable is um, <laughs> is one of kind of as you get older, letting go of what 
other people think about you like think about what what you like and letting go of like how much you're allowed to like I think I just used to feel like ooh, like put that away Amy Lee like that's for your diary yeah (laughs) you know what I mean like like I always say that I don't really experience secondhand embarrassment, but I guess that's what I'm talking about. And like just being like, no, that's that's actually a great use of art and songwriting and this space. And why did I think otherwise? Yeah, 100%. I wanted to share a funny little anecdote about My Immortal because I was definitely really into the song when I was like, 16. Ah, you were the problem. I was the problem. I didn't (laughs) flaunt it, though, because I was aware that, like, it wasn't cool to like this song. Yes, I think that's what, it was the lack of awareness. I was like, are you not aware? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. No, no, that's fine. But Winston didn't know the song, so I played the song for him the other night. I played it for him just like on my phone and then Kiki, my cat, just like ran up onto the bed and was like so excited. She was like, I love this. And she likes she <laughs> likes music like generally, but she like loves this song. And so then every once in a while I'll start singing it and Kiki's like, what's going on? What's going on? I love this song. <laughs> Kiki, my cat, is the biggest My Immortal fan. So something about it must be good. Okay, well, that's the perfect segue for me to pretend that I know about music again. Okay, so this has been my journey. That song was the song that I was like, that was the problem, right? And then like maybe two days into this project, I was like, I need to buy the sheet music for this song. Yeah, yes. My best friend, whose name is also Emma, she used to play that piano part all the time. All the time. Because I was like, I need to know what fucking musical earball crack is yeah. in time cannot erase yeah what did they find what secret chord did they find that is better than all other music yeah <laughs> on time cannot erase and the answer is it's a five chord so what's wild about this <laughs> this is what i think is, this is what's genius about the song most songs are made out of a one chord and then a five chord and then just like some other stuff like the five chord is like if you hear in your head a chorus saying amen uh-huh. what you just played to yourself is five one okay. so one is home and the five is the bridge out of there is is the way out of there and it's the way back into there it's just like there's going to be five chords all over a song it's the easiest way to get from here to there right so to make it through an entire verse and pre-chorus and deny the ears the five chord Mm. and just keep dicking around with like (laughs) all the minor chords in the just we're starting here and then it's like oh here's a sad third here's a sad sixth we're just gonna keep wafting between them and not really ever getting anywhere and then on time cannot erase they give you the five chord that you've wanted the whole time and then they suspend the third, which is like, ugh, that's the weight of my heart every time. <laughs> so that's what's going on there. <laughs> there you go. And that's how much of an impression this song made on me once I just decided that I don't care that that girl laid on her back and sang it directly upwards into the microphone. Yeah. Anyone who really knows music would probably listen to that and be like, oh, God, you <laughs> don't embarrass yourself. But that's. But we're here to embarrass ourselves now. That's true. That yeah, is part of the yes, that is part that of the project. Is the evanescence. Yeah. yeah. Evanescence <laughs> yeah. has given us permission. <laughs> That's what I really loved about it was it felt like a couple of times in our exploration of different particularly musical artists, we talked about how like it just doesn't feel 
for whatever reason, like this person is giving of themselves. I know we said that with Lionel Richie for sure. We yeah. said it a little bit with Casey Musgraves. Yeah. Oh boy. But it always feels like Amy Lee is just like, it's like the same thing as Adele. It just feels like she's like pulling it right out. It is the same thing as Adele. Why why am I okay with Adele? And this whole time I've been like, Amy Lee, that's too much. You're asking too much of me. If I were to posit a guess, it would be just that Amy Lee as a vocalist and Amy Lee as a public figure in collective consciousness are kind of two different things and I think because she was so heavily into this kind of goth aesthetic that just rubbed some people the wrong way they were like no you can't be that she is so authentically herself and has been so authentically herself her whole career and people weren't okay with that which sucks yeah, Anthony pitched me that too, is that it was just like at that age, an anti-goth bias that was just like in the water. And I, I don't want to say with confidence that I was definitely better than that in high school. Yeah. <laughs> if I try to remember, honestly, like I was not into that vibe, but I feel like I felt a kinship with the goths as just like other weird kids. Like my weirdness was presenting differently, but I, I really don't think that I was anti-goth, but I think I was anti exposing your own pain yeah i think i was like no you button that up you you fucking swallow that like the rest of us like i would love to lie in the middle of the stage and just cry and cry and cry but i don't i don't (laughs) i hide in the last stall of the bathroom to do my crying and that's what you should be doing too it seems like when we were younger because i had a similar thing at that age of like having kind of an anti-goth bias even though i think looking back with the benefit of age and perspective i think i would have actually really enjoyed what an actual goth is like i just had a real like anti-mall goth bias as i'm learning (laughs) what it was because i similarly was like oh we're all sad like just bury it and don't deal with it yeah you know which is like yeah just just such like a waspy response yeah (laughs) that's really funny looking back on it it's like oh right because i had depression in high school and it wasn't treated and i was just like we all feel this way we just deal with it differently maybe the difference for me because i was always kind of considered you can you can talk to ari about this because this was Mm. kind of a joke at the beginning of college that i was like super goth and i really wasn't but like i I had a little bit of that going on and I and I did in high school as well. Well, you know, with a goth aesthetic, a little goes a long way. It's true. It's true. Maybe I was more okay with embracing that goth side of myself because I'd been in therapy since I was 13 and was treated for depression. So, I actually was okay or I was working on being okay dealing with my feelings. Yeah. Maybe goth kids are actually better adjusted. I think, I think they, a lot of I them I think are. they are a lot of the time. Yeah. I don't I don't usually <laughs> usually go this deep but I well part of how I got sucked in is I I felt like I was listening to all the music and I I just felt like I wasn't getting really a handle on her which is a weird thing to say because it's so like exposed but I I guess I was like but how do you just like talk like a person so I watched her talking like a person a little bit and she said something really lovely about like the gift of the that the success of the band has given her is that when she was young and dealing with shit She was just trying to make the thing that she needed, not just the thing that she needed to make, but the thing that she needed to exist, like the thing that would have soothed 
her and like that there's sometimes you want a a piece of art or a piece of song or whatever that is not going to tell you that it's all going to be okay that's not going to tell you that there's a reason for this and that it's going to work out that it's just going to be like this sucks yeah you just get to like fucking wallow in and to come from such almost like a selfish place of like I just need this to be here outside of me and then have that like affect so many people and have other like create such a culture around it that people are like this is the thing that I needed to and like she didn't even realize going in that it was going to have that there was going to be that kind of response I just thought that was really nice no, that is that is really nice. And it's interesting if you listen to their most recent album, and their most recent album came out last year. Yeah, they're still kicking. It's a little okay. more well-adjusted. <laughs> yeah, it's it still got that like, okay, this is really hard and this really sucks, but the additional pieces, but it is worth it to keep trying. It's just like stuff is hard, but it's okay. Totally. It feels like goth kids grown up to be goth adults. Yeah. Yeah. You know? She is, I feel like Amy Lee is everyone's wounded inner child. I don't know about everyone's. Is a wounded inner child. And if you are a me in high school, your only choice is to lock that door and throw away the key. Lock the last open door. Yeah. Yes. Find your own way out bitch <laughs> but it maybe i don't know i feel like maybe some of those people who were using it who were using this music to deal were like genuinely using it to deal yeah absolutely i mean listen art serves a purpose and like catharsis is a thing yeah and on a certain level that's what listening to music can be is it's cathartic and sometimes you don't need things to get better sometimes you need to just talk about how much it sucks and how much it hurts yeah, I was not ready for yeah. that, but I, I am now. Yeah, as, <laughs> as my therapists have told me in adulthood, when you acknowledge that something sucks or is hard, sometimes that's really all you need to like start to make space for something else because you're not stuck on like, why does no one understand that this is hard? It's just like, yeah, it is hard. It does suck. This is terrible. Yeah. You're like, okay, thank you. It's very validating. Absolutely. I, and I think that this is an interesting segue because there is this like societal, I don't want to call it an understanding, but expectation that Evanescence is somehow silly. But like we talk about how much this music resonated with all of us. And I think it really did with a lot of teenagers because the first album was incredibly popular. It is one yes. of the best-selling albums of the 21st century. Really? It sold, I think, like 17 million copies. Wow. The piece of trivia that I saw is that it's one of eight albums ever in history to be in the top 100 selling albums for over a full year. Wow. That's impressive. That's yeah. it, right? <laughs> I wanted to play a little mini game because I think it's a fun piece of trivia. Yes. So Evanescence is the fifth best-selling album of the 21st century. There are four albums that have sold better than it by three artists. So one person has two albums on it. I want to see if y'all can guess who those three artists are. So I'll give each of you three guesses. Emma, we'll start with you. Who do you think are the three artists who have outsold Evanescence is Fallen? I am guessing that Taylor Swift is one of them. Okay. That is also one of my guesses. Yeah. Maybe Beyonce. Okay. And I was going to say Lady Gaga. I don't think it's right. But I'm going to say Lady Gaga because I, I can't think of who else. That's not that far outside the realm to me because I remember she pulled a lot of stunts on Born This Way to, to pump up 
the numbers. Like the weekend that it came out, it was surprise 99 cents on a lot of platforms. Yeah, I remember like, that. So people would just to, like drive the numbers yeah, up. Yeah, I think I bought it when it was 99 yeah, cents. I, yeah, well, I bought it on a compact disc for $14 like a fucking chump. <laughs> Because I wanted to be able to hold the picture of her as a motorcycle. That's fair. Um, That is valid. Okay, I'm going to say Adele. Okay, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to say Ariana Grande. Okay, and is your third one Taylor Swift? Yes. All right, y'all got, between you, you got one right. And it was Adele. What? Adele is on there twice. You're telling me. You're telling me that there have been more... That there have been more copies of Fallen sold than any Taylor Swift album. Yes. <laughs> wow. That's 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 wow. amazing. Yes. So sense. the the three artists, one is Adele, and she I believe it was twenty one and twenty five. Both were were yes. both. I yeah. think twenty one is the top. And I then- would fucking sell a kidney to hear Amy Lee cover "Hello" Ugh. and Adele cover. Call me when you're sober. Mm. Ooh, yeah, that's, that's a, good, a good, one. good one. That would be a good one for Adele. So yeah. the other two or lost, ooh, or lost in paradise are Eminem with the Eminem show. Oh, I forgot about men. The third one is Nora Jones. <laughs> what? <laughs> Wild. This is why I wanted what? to do this because I was like, "There's no way." No, no. There's. No, I would no, never have said no, that I in, would... in 1,000 <laughs> oh, years. man. Nora Jones. Nora Jones. I haven't thought about Nora Jones in a really long no time. No one has. For those of our listeners yeah, out there who may be a little too young to remember Nora Jones, don't worry about it. It's fine. No one's thought about yeah, Nora Jones since 2002. That was the right song, right? Am I singing the wrong song? Mm. I think it's right. Evanescence Has Fallen has outsold every Beyonce album every Lady Gaga album. Everyone we think of as iconic. Okay, but that's just like one record yes, against one album. record. If we took like combined right. sales, oh, they would get better. Taylor Swift would. And also, them. like as we were saying, like with the advent of streaming, buying albums is less of a thing now, I feel like. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a like- little unfair cuz most of the stuff that is the top with the exception of Adele, it's all stuff from 2002, 2003. Yeah. So like pre-streaming. I picked Adele and Taylor Swift because I know that they kept their stuff off of streaming because they could. Mm. Like they're the only people that could. Yeah. Like I remember them doing like delays to make people buy the album. They were the only people that had that kind of pull still into like the, the 2020s. Yeah. And I know that Red and Red Taylor's version are different, but I bet if you combine the sales for both of them, it would probably be sure, 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 sure. That was just a fun piece of trivia. Yeah, that is. No, that is fun. It's just indicative of like how much Evanescence meant to so many people and like how much it resonated at a time. To go back to my little trivia about how it kept selling for over a year, like that's like organic growth. That's like the thing about how Titanic, for Titanic to make money, everyone would have to come see it seven times and then they did. That just tells me that people were buying that record and then like laying on their bedroom floor with their friends and then all those friends went and bought the record and then laid on the floor with their other friends. It wasn't just that like they heard Bring Me to Life on the radio and bought it because that's only a couple of weeks. Yeah, and I think that Fallen is a really interesting album because 
even though Amy Lee's songwriting improves by leaps and bounds with every successive album. Yeah, there's a, on Fallen, there's some, there's definitely some stuff that I'm like, you didn't want to think about like making this match the other verse or like you didn't want to worry about like a rhyme. But it's like, I don't know. It's like cool that it, it doesn't. I feel like the thing that's great about the album is like, yes, there are some songs where it's like, did you just literally like pull this out of your diary and say, here, put a drum beat over it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like as a piece, like as a full piece, I feel like that album is so cohesive. Yes. Every song moves. I feel like My Immortal comes at a really good time. But it's also the the more acoustic version first, right? You don't get the band version until the end of the album. Yeah, I always skip the acoustic because I don't want to listen to it twice. Yeah, it's not as good. It's not as good. Yeah, yeah. this could be apocryphal, but something I may have learned is that she didn't write that song. Oh, really? Ben Moody wrote that song. Oh, really? I didn't know that. That is really funny that that's, that's the one she didn't write. Yeah, and now, and now she has to sing it at every live concert for the rest of her life, the song that her like abusive ex wrote for her. Yeah, that's not great. Because I think part of what what made that song so, besides, besides denying us the five chords, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think like for it to come from her perspective like when you are scared, mm-hmm. I fight away all of your fears. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, there's a, a strength and femininity in it that I, I, I think I think a lot of I mean, I can only speak for like our age group, but I think a lot of girls in relationships with boys at that time really needed to hear like really felt like they were like they were the strong ones and that that because of the way we look at straight relationships in this society that there was not a lot that had the capability to acknowledge how much support they were offering their troubled boyfriends yeah Yeah. no absolutely I do it's kind of ironic that it was written by her abusive ex because it very much feels kind of like from the perspective of maybe not an abusive relationship necessarily, but a tumultuous, tumultuous and one in which she is carrying a lot of the emotional burden. Yes. Yeah. But you still have all of me. I know. Cuts like a knife. It does. Yeah. It's a great song. I'll die on that hill. It's a great song by a great artist. And I feel like Amy Lee is like a very under, not in this room, but a very yeah. underappreciated vocalist by society. Absolutely. Yeah. So I went into this like knowing that she is underappreciated as a vocalist and very excited to get to appreciate her as a vocalist. Yeah. But I'm coming out of this appreciating her even more as a songwriter and I think most as a band leader. The fact that they all like share credit for these things and like that she's like kept this project running through like the lineup has changed and it's always so evanescent. It's she still has the name like just the fact yeah. that like the legal battles that she must have weathered. I just think it's I think it's really impressive that she's like kept something so cohesive and so collaborative going for so long. Absolutely. And and like you were saying earlier, just that it came about because it was something that she needed, not just for herself, but she needed it to exist. And yeah. I think so many people needed it to exist too. Yeah, and I think high school me had a lot of, like, internalized misogyny about, like, the music business, and I couldn't fucking fathom. I really had no idea. I thought it was, like, this is a rock band with a really talented front woman. Like, I had no idea. It didn't even occur to me 
that it was like all her doing because I couldn't have pictured at that time someone having that much like fortitude to get that many men to like fall in line and do the thing that we're doing you can't you can't get men to do anything I (laughs) I quit theater because you can't you can't make men do anything getting men to trust your vision as a woman especially as like a 21 year old woman is like fucking impossible like the battles I fought just like as a college theater director so to imagine like on a national (laughs) on a national scale hits on the radio do you know the story about Emma do you know the story about how they tried to make her hire a rapper and she said no I feel like I heard that at one point but I don't know it they so on bring me to life obviously there's like yeah there's the the male vocalist yeah the label was like it has to be that all the time you have to hire someone you have to hire a male vocalist and she was like no good good for her and they were like well then and she was like okay and then the whole band got in the van and drove home to Arkansas like wow. how did she get how did she get four men to to know to have the confidence in yourself to be like no I'm sorry I'm pretty sure that I am the vocal talent of a generation and none of this works without me and then to also get four men to agree with you so hard that they'll leave millions of dollars on the table and drive home to Arkansas and then I guess they just like played chicken until the label was like fine one song you do it on one song and then to like launch you and then you can do wow. whatever you want. It's very funny to me that the label basically wanted to make them Lady Lincoln Park. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and she was like, yeah. no. But it's like, have you heard her? Like, that's what's so cool about it to me is it's like, no, she had heard her. And she was like, no, this is better. What's going on in here is better than what you're talking about. So. Okay. This just occurred to me, but is Bring Me to Life to Evanescence what Just Dance is to Lady Gaga? Because at the beginning, mm. they're like, Lady Gaga and this producer who no one wound up caring about later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I come to check it out that catalog, that whole business. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is yeah. that what you're talking about? Yeah. Oh, it's Red One and Gaga. Like, who gives <laughs> <Yeah>. a shit? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that's a bad comparison because they were both, like, really successful songs. They're both good mm. songs. I would venture to say, but I would be just as happy to listen to Bring Me to Life without the male vocals. On synthesis, you will get it. Yes! Oh, it's so good. It's so fucking good. I highly recommend. I'm downloading the album now. Listen, anyone out there, even if you don't listen to, it'll be better if you sort of familiarize yourselves with the like first versions of all the songs on synthesis. Yeah. But like all you listeners out there, if you don't want to listen to Evanescence, you should still download Synthesis and get high on your drug of choice and listen to Synthesis. Uh, it's just everything that I... I mean, because everyone who knows me knows that I want all pop songs to be the pop song that they are and then also the Moulin Rouge version. <laughs> I want the Moulin Rouge version to exist of every song and I feel like that's what this album has given me. Because her goal was, what if I created a symphonic film score of my songs. I love it. Because she's really into film scoring, which I think is adorable. A lot of people in like melodic and symphonic metal are into film scores. Yeah, she's talked about Danny Elfman as like one of her inspirations. (laughs) It's like garbage and Danny Elfman. (laughs) Yeah, that makes total sense because she was super into like Tim Burton and Halloween and stuff. But I also love that she like knows what she likes and knows what she is and isn't trying to be anything else but that. Yeah, I have one criticism. 
I just feel like it's kind of trading in this like swamp of mental health experiences that we were all sort of aware of at the time. Like I like in the it's dealing in this vocabulary around mental unwellness that it just didn't always feel like it's coming from like a first person and it's a little like sure. it is a little like isn't this romantical like this is how this is how we make art like I can't be on lithium forever because I won't be good at art you know what I mean? like I have to stay sad so I can stay good at art like that kind of messaging you know what I mean yeah yeah no there's definitely a certain amount of romanticizing of like the other side of being goth is like sometimes this kind of romanticizing of of pain and you know talking about suicide and drug use that's all part of it and that can be a dangerous line to walk yeah and I guess I don't have a problem with people discussing that in their music I just there was something about it that felt like you guys aren't always coming from a lived experience yeah yeah exactly and part of your whole thing is like how real this is yeah I think that's a valid criticism I do know that like some of the stuff, like Tourniquet is one that I don't really want to listen to more because like it's so explicit. Like I, like the last line of the song is like, my God, my tourniquet, my suicide. You know, like it's like, OK, that's a little over the top for me. I don't need to engage with that kind of stuff anymore in my life. Well, if it makes you feel any better, she didn't write it. It came from the, one of the boys, one of the boys former Christian band. That makes a lot of sense. So being cognizant of time, I don't want to cut off our lovely conversation, but we have been going for a while. I'm going to work backwards a little bit because I think I know the answer to the first question. But Emma, is this in your curriculum? Yes. Same. <laughs> Enthusiastic, unqualified yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I don't think anyone should be talking about rock and roll and not talking about Evanescence. <laughs> yeah, going into a little bit like, who is this for? I think if I, again, had a time machine and I could go back in time to when I was like in high school and listening to Camelot with a K. Yes, yes, I love Camelot. All right, just real quick. Does Fallen <laughs> yes. sound a lot like the Black Halo? A little bit. There's some definite similarities between... Like the song Somewhere in Time? Yes! Sounds like it could be an Evanescence song. Absolutely. Like just with the vocals switched. And the vocalist, the female vocalist on that, she's the lead singer of a band called Epica. I obviously have to give a shout out to Nightwish too. Nightwish is a little different. It is different, yeah. But they're all, they all kind of like live in this world and Evanescence is one of the only American female fronted rock slash metal bands at least at least that's popular on that level on that scale yes exactly that can really like play in the same waters as them yeah yeah I would absolutely go back in time and be like listen 17 year old Anthony I know you think that you don't want this but you do absolutely also maybe maybe go see a therapist because yeah. <laughs> uh, you're struggling more than you think and uh, it's only gonna get worse as time goes on yeah I was and... like no Sondheim is gonna heal this yeah <laughs> <laughs> if you're into hard rock heavy metal or just like ladies songwriting auteurs yeah this is a wild suggestion but if you're like I really love how Taylor Swift and Regina Spector approach their art. Well, guess what? Yeah. I have a weird out of left field suggestion for you. Yeah. No, well, so I have spent this whole time thinking a lot about Lady Gaga because they're both obvious piano nerds. Yeah. Like they definitely both spent high school sneaking 
into the room where there was the random piano and just like annoying the shit out of everyone with how good they were at piano. Yeah, absolutely. There's a a similarity of both skill set and like boldness, like no fucks given. Yeah. And yet when Lady Gaga came into my life, I was so ready to receive that. I was like, yes, her demanding attention does not make me uncomfortable at all. I love that for her. I think everyone should pay attention to her. Yeah. And yet somehow I had a block around the exact same it's just the window dressings of the antics it's just the flavor of the it's all antics exactly yeah it's just the the package and like hey if evanescence isn't your thing that's fine no it's not (laughs) it's not fine you're wrong it's not fine no obviously you know people like what they're gonna like but i agree i feel similarly about lady gaga and amy lee because they're both being themselves unapologetically are extraordinarily talented and it's just about the flavor that you want of that i would say like if you're into female pop stars or pop stars generally because there is a lot of pop in in evanescence too yeah i would say it's like pop rock yeah i did not find it hard on the ears at all yeah and so that's why i think also like some people in the metal community like looked down on them because they weren't as quote-unquote hardcore as other bands but like who who cares who cares that to me it just feels like more of the silly and serious it's like people are trying to like draw these lines of like what counts like what who's doing it for real and it's like is it good? Yeah. If you don't think heavy metal is silly, listen to any Man of War song. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you make a third concept album about the Sons of Odin? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah, like Super I don't silly. care about the Sons of Odin. I care about your, I care about Amy Lee's dead sister. I know. <laughs> Tell me more about how that's affected you through song. <laughs> so before we go, I just wanted to give you a chance, Emma, if you would like to plug anything. Oh, thank you. Yes. Oh, let's see. So probably by the time this episode comes out, my podcast that I host, Pairing, where I pair wine with art and pop culture, unfortunately will probably be on hiatus, but there will be a hundred episodes that you can listen to, um, several <laughs> of which Anthony is on. So definitely go and check that out. That's Pairing, or you can find me on at pairing podcast on twitter you can find me personally at the great dilemma on twitter and i've got a bunch of fun new projects in audio and other stuff coming out soon but it's nebulous enough that i don't want to like plug it yet i'm also an acting coach if you are interested in voice acting and would like to see what all that's all about or get some feedback i'm on skills hub which is acting.skillshub.life is where you can find that. That's founded by Jennifer Hale, name drop. She's one of the most amazing voice actors ever. So I feel very lucky to be working on there. I think that's I think that's what I've got. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, yeah. that's lovely. I love a plug that's like, there is stuff that is cool enough that I'm not contractually allowed to talk yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> that's always great. That's the dream. So I guess that about wraps us up here for this episode. Don't forget, yeah. if you enjoyed this episode, you can uh, give us a follow, rate, subscribe, whatever your podcatcher of choice refers to engaging with our content and telling your friends about it. Whatever they call that, please do that. Yeah, uh, and if you are Amy Lee and you want someone to write a screenplay <laughs> about the, the rise of your band and, the, and especially the release of your first two albums and um, also, like, your personal life... <laughs> <laughs> we we are we have a lot of ideas 
So until next time, everyone, that does it for us here at I'm a Sophisticate and So Can You. Good night and Tetsuo! (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Sorry, I just wanted to do that. Yeah. Good night and good luck. Good night and good luck and good evanescence. Good evanescence, yes.